She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I didn't have, I'm the one that stopped it. President Obama had child separation. Now I'll tell you something, once you don't have it, that's why you see many more people coming. They're coming like it's a picnic because let's go to Disneyland. U.S. District Judge Robert Seaborg ruled that the administration lacked a legal basis under current law for adopting the policy of returning asylum-seeking Central Americans to Mexico while the requests for asylum are being adjudicated. Our government has betrayed us. Uh, President Obama betrayed us. Gavin Newsom, every, every Jerry Brown, you know, almost every legislator in California has put illegal aliens ahead of American citizens. And the results, the results are a lot of crime and a lot of death. Our own name is in question now. It's no longer the U.S. House of Representatives, because under Speaker Pelosi, you take away the sp- suspensions, more than 20% of the bills have been resolutions that go nowhere, that will not even make it to the president's desk. It's become the U.S. House of Resolutions. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey there, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. We have a jam-packed program for you again today. We're going to chat with Kyle Salmon. He's a contributor to The Federalist about uh, this this idea that it's somehow racism to ask judicial nominees tough questions about their record and their legal philosophy. Uh, it's interesting because the charges of racism stem from tough questions by Republicans, but Democrats are allowed to ask about what people believe about homosexual Uh, you know, practices, sexual practices, all kinds of things that are kind of bizarre. And they're allowed to be screamed at and yelled at and treated like garbage. But the minute you start asking about judicial philosophy and really delving into someone's background and trying to find out where their beliefs come from, where they're rooted, uh, you know, kind of kind of what forms the basis for how they would rule. uh, That's racism. Just like everything's racism. Remember, everything is racist now which completely obliterates the legitimate actual incidences of racism. It's no, there's no need to even talk about that anymore. Like if you have something happen to you and it's actually racist, like verifiably racist from like a white supremacist, and I know it's rare, but if it does happen, forget about talking about it because the left has used the term racism and racist so ridiculous, ridiculously, so ubiquitously that there's just no... You just you can't even use it anymore. All you got to do is say racism and you see people, they roll their eyes, they sigh, they just can't handle it anymore. They've heard it so much. They hear it on the news all day, every day. Every conversation is rooted in racism. Even the discussions around what are the true root causes of systemic poverty? Well, we have to fight racism. Okay, so if someone's poor, the last thing in the world they're worried about is racism. They're thinking about food, shelter, necessities. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent now. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you with us here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We actually, um, we're going to talk about Chelsea Clinton thinking that banning abortion is unchristian. If you've ever heard perversion of the word of God, if you've ever thought to yourself, I wonder what that sounds like. I'm going to let you hear it from her mouth, a little bit of audio of her talking like that. And then you've got another, yet another American, a dad. His son was killed by an illegal alien in California, and he's actually going up against Gavin Newsom yet again to try to figure out just what what is Gavin Newsom's issue? Why can't he ever side with Americans? He's in South America running around 
you know, giving aid and comfort to those who want to send people here. Some of them are great people, but they're all entering illegally. And the ones that aren't great people are killing Americans. And Gavin Newsom just does not care. I think he thinks he's too pretty to care, right? If you've ever seen him speak, the way he kind of, you know, moves himself around, you're like, oh, (laughs) he's like a, he's like a peacock. Um, He's like, look at my face. It's pretty. And I'm sure, you know, of course, I mean, I guess maybe so. Who knows? Who cares? He's the governor of California. I'm much more concerned with what's inside his head. You know, what? like, what is he thinking? Or does he actually have the ability to think? So we'll talk about that. The Secret Service has come under fire for the incident last week at Mar-a-Lago when the president was there. Uh, there was this Asian woman, Chinese national who was, uh, you know, trying to s- sneak malware and other things into Mar-a-Lago. And um, the Secret Service made a little bit of an error. I think it was a mistake, like obviously not what they intended on doing. And they're receiving a lot of fire over it. Um, And then I want to talk about from 1990 to 2013, 1.1 billion people in America escaped extreme poverty. I'm sorry, not not in America. 1.1 billion worldwide escaped extreme poverty. Now, Why would that be super important to us? Well, because we want people to escape poverty. That's what that should be. One of our chief aims is to enable people to have the pathway to do that. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, We'll take your calls at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Right now, um, I, so for the encouragement today, I just want to share something with you and I'm not going to give out any names or anything, but I got an email um, from a listener who said that they felt that they knew what happens in abortion clinics and being pretty, pretty soft hearted and easily moved. Um, they, they didn't feel like they were going to go see unplanned, but because I kept kind of insisting last week, um, that it was, you know, super important to go see it. They went to see it and they felt that it was actually beneficial to see it, even though they're well acquainted with Planned Parenthood and everything that they do and that it really changed their perspective and it was worth their time to go and see it. And so I'm sharing that because that was pretty encouraging to me. And also they, they were responding to when we were praying last week about just, just all the things that have been going on and we were praying, we're praying for the situation at the border and all of that. And I'm, so I'm saying, you know, be not weary in well-doing for in due time you will reap if you do not faint. That's the Bible encouragement for us. But I want to say to encourage other people that you are in the same situation as this couple where they just didn't, they didn't feel like they needed to go, but they did. They went outside their comfort zone, they stretched themselves, and they were blessed because of it. And I think there's something in the movie for everyone. And even if you're one of those rare people who you don't know anyone who's ever had an abortion, you've never had one, no one in your family's had one that you're aware of, I would still recommend you going because maybe it's, in, it's outside your family people that you're working with and you never know when someone's going to share or broach the topic with you. And this movie gives a lot of great insights on how to talk about this and how to respond for people who have experienced reproductive loss and how to really be there for them. It's a great film and it's worth your time. And it's, it's not one of those B movies where you're thinking, geez, who shot this thing or it was in someone's backyard. Not at all. It's really well done. So I encourage you to take a look at it. Here's the graphic if you're watching on a live stream. Unplanned in theaters everywhere. You got a 30-minute sneak peek that you can get by texting BABY to 53445. Text BABY to 53445. 
or go to unplanned.com, unplanned.com. You can also tweet them at unplanned. Um, they have a really vibrant Twitter presence there. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, so right now, let's talk about this ISIS jerk. He's, he's, a, he's a jerk. He's in America. And instead of loving it, you know how I am about that. Love it or leave it. That's how I feel about it. Do not come here and hate America or Americans because you what? Like what, what could be your good reason for that? So this guy, he said he was very upset with people for not being Muslims. And he was feeling as if, um, you know, that, that, that for some reason, and I don't, I don't understand his, his background on it, but he wanted to carry out a France-style ISIS attack just miles from the White House. Now, he's a jihadi. He lives in Maryland. And he was planning to do a massacre similar to the truck massacre that happened in Nice, France back in 2016. Now, Prince George County police officers were the ones who caught this and, and stopped it from happening. According to WJLA, and there's a criminal complaint and court documents that have been filed on uh, March 26th, the Alexandria Police Department was contacted concerning this leased U-Haul vehicle. The U-Haul vehicle was uh, actually stolen from a parking garage at a mall in Alexandria, Virginia. The driver who had rented the U-Haul vehicle noticed a man driving a blue BMW follow him off of 395 onto mall property and then follow the U-Haul into the parking garage and park a few miles away or a few spaces away. So then police responded to the garage. They found the BMW near the parking space where the U-Haul had been parked. So they looked at the BMW's registration records and saw that it was registered to someone whose last name was Henry. Well, after that, the U-Haul, so that this couple day, a day later or so, March 27th, the stolen U-Haul is located at National Harbor. Law enforcement reviewed video surveillance of the area, and that showed that the guy, Henry, the same one who the BMW is registered to, he'd actually parked and then exited the stolen U-Haul. Now, he was arrested the next day. For two years, Henry has harbored hatred for those who do not practice Islam. Allegedly inspired by videos he watched of foreign terrorists, he decided to conduct a vehicular attack and he drove around, drove around, drove around, drove around. He was at Dulles International Airport in Virginia at approximately 5 a.m. on March 27th and he tried to get in, but he couldn't breach the security. He, he was just like trying to figure out how to get into the airport. So he, when he couldn't get in, he decided he was going to drive over to the White House and run down a bunch of people near there or near National Harbor, which is where CPAC is held. It's a huge tourist destination with lots of hotels. There's even an Air Force One. Um, I'm not sure if it's Carter, Carter era or Reagan era, but it's an Air Force One out there park that you can take tours of. So there's a lot for people to go and see and do and stay in hotels and shop and eat at restaurants. And he was planning on driving the U-Haul over there and running some people down in that area. Now he's been apprehended and they're crediting Prince George's County police officers and others at National Harbor for being really, really quick on the uptake and, you know, capturing him before he could do anything. So again, you know, for people who like to say that um, we people who are concerned as I am about the kind of immigration we have where we don't vet people and we don't assimilate them and we don't require that they become Americans and that they accept the fact that we have 
all different kinds of faith traditions here in the United States, but that this is a Judeo-Christian country and that Christians have a right to be here and we have a right not to be run down or attacked because we don't practice Islam. And if we have a problem with Islam, we have a right to have a problem with Islam and there's nothing you can do about it. They're not teaching anybody that anymore. It's just bring your old self over here from your third world pit and behave however you want to and we're supposed to accommodate them. I'm not into accommodating over here. Not today. What we need to do is if a person is coming from one of these Muslim origin countries and they want to be an immigrant into the United States, whether it's refugee or whatever, and they can't say affirmatively that Christians have the right to believe in Jesus Christ and that they can't actually say that that right extends to every single American and that leaving Islam is not apostasy. If they can't say that, they should immediately be turned around and told, you know, you like it here because you ain't getting into America. That's what we know. You won't be getting up in here. Yes, that bad English, that's what they should translate right on over to those folks. If they can't understand that we practice Christianity here with impunity and that is our right, then they should not be here. But I mean, you know, like like as we all know, because I'm sitting here doing this radio show, I'm not in charge of immigration. How about that? I'm not in charge of getting who, which refugees can come and which can't. Um, I, I just, again, God bless the folks who want to come into this country and lawfully immigrate here or refugees whose countries are war torn and they want to be here. But you don't have a right to be here if you weren't born here. And you don't have a right to come in here and get mad at people because they don't want to practice Islam. Like, have you even looked at it yourself? You don't seem happy practicing it because that's the, the funniest thing about the practice of Islam is that if the practitioners were happy about practicing it, other people would see them and go, man, you know, those practitioners of Islam are so happy. They just have so much going for them. It looks exciting, doesn't it? Doesn't it look fun the way they're always smiling and enjoying themselves? The way they have all of this freedom and liberty and they've come to America and made the most out of it? The way they get to let their hair blow free in the wind and get a little bit of, you know, when your hair gets a little bit of color to it because you've been out in the sun for, you know, a week or so on vacation and you come back and your hair is a little brassy. Look at them. Just look at them enjoying their lives. Look at look at the way they're taking advantage of being an American. I got to find out what that is they're doing with themselves. When is the last time you ever heard anybody say that about Islam? And he's mad because we don't want to try it. He doesn't even like it. Why should we like it? I just, I can't with these people. They should be glad to be here among us. They're lucky. All right, when we get back, we'll have Kyle Salmon of The Federalist. Stay right there. Take your place alongside us so we can stand the gap for the next generation. Hello, my name is Jacob. Urban Family Talk has really been a blessing. Uh, I like the fact that they're biblical. And they're showing that that is the foundation. This prayer is how we're going to make it. Um, I just encourage them to keep doing the same thing. They're making a tremendous impact. Uh, they could be on the other side of the phone and, and understand what they're doing. They would be shocked. They're doing a fantastic job. God bless them. God bless AFA and AFR. Keep doing the same thing. God is using Urban Family Talk to influence the lives of listeners across America. Join us for our three-day share April 23rd through 25th. Here on listener-supported Urban Family Talk.
it's time to take a stand. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with The Legacy Moment. I remember reading a refreshing, insightful book, but then I came across a section in the book in which the author tried to give a, an elaborate and almost forced explanation as to why a certain person did some very bad things. I placed the book down and kind of mulled over in my mind what I just read. I thought maybe, just maybe this guy did these bad things simply because he was wicked and sinful. Now, I don't mean to downplay contributing factors to our propensity to do wrong things, and, and sometimes those factors are quite complicated or lodged in our backgrounds, but honestly, we do bad things because at the core, we're wicked. There's bad stuff inside of our hearts. Listen to Psalm 36, verse 1. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. Did you hear that? Transgression, not some dysfunctional relationship, but transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. That verse is pretty straightforward. In fact, it says evil is present in us. Transgression, by its very nature, knows no boundaries. It means to trespass, to go beyond limits, to do what is not right. Transgression says, I don't like those boundaries, and I'm going to cross them. Within all of us is the tendency of the arrogant disregard of consequences. We want to do what we want to do, whether it's lying or lust or acting out on that lust or manipulating people or greed. Transgression speaks inside our hearts. It says, do that, do that, do that. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Don't ever underestimate the depths of your own wickedness or make excuses for bad, sinful behavior. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio. Find out more at AFR.net. Also visit our news site, onenewsnow.com. You'll love the content over there. They do extra research. They don't just rip and read, and the content is fantastic. The guys who actually work there often come on the program and contribute here, and so it would be wonderful to have you check out the onenewsnow.com news site that we, uh, we, we really enjoy having that. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Kyle Salmon, contributor to The Federalist. Hey, Kyle, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Stacey. It's good to talk to you. I'm, I'm wondering how it's racist to just ask judicial nominees about their uh, legal philosophy. <laughs> a good question. <laughs> um, and uh, what, this, uh, what I was writing about, what we're talking about today, is uh, the nomination of Naomi Rao um, to the D.C. Circuit. And some, uh, one Republican, uh, Josh Hawley of, of Missouri, had some hard questions for her because he wanted to make sure that she really believed in conservative judicial principles. So he held up the nomination for a bit. And the reaction to that from uh, one writer, at, uh, one law professor at the legal blog, Lola Conspiracy, was to say that this was identity politics. And, and, and even he said he's not going to say it's racist, but implied there was some racism involved. And it was, uh, well, it was disappointing coming from, you know, coming from someone on the right. We're, we're oh, no. Kyle, I got that wrong. The other side. 
<laughs> I got that wrong. I thought this was a leftist calling screaming racism. You're saying someone right leaning thought it was racist to ask Noemi Rao a few tough questions. Yeah, that's right. I mean, David Bernstein is a uh, uh, one of the you know most law professors do lean right, and but he, you know he writes full of conspiracy in his, his book. Uh, uh, what they call reconsidering Lochner, I think uh, is you know he's he's a a man of the right for the most part, um, which is why I was kind of so surprised at this, and so were a lot of other uh, commentators on the right, uh, because this is what we're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, senators are supposed to make sure that nominees are are up to the job and and have the right principles for the job. So what what exactly is it that Senator Hawley, who happens to be the junior senator from the state that I live in, I voted for Mr. Hawley, and I felt like we we did pretty well in watching him unseat Claire McCaskill. In fact, I was exuberant about it, to be honest. Um, but what 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 was he querying her on, and what were the tw- tough questions? Because I think if it's actually wonderful to see someone nominated by the president, I'm assuming Naomi Rao, she's on the right, she's nominated mm-hmm. by the president to fill this role. And to have uh, tough questions coming from her own side, quote unquote, that's actually the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, that's what I thought. And uh, his specific issue, I mean, generally it was whether she was sufficiently pro-life. It's an important important question. But it also got down to, like, the legal issue of, in constitutional law, how how the Bill of Rights applies to the state, whether it's through substantive due process or through the Privileges and Immunities Clause. And that's usually something you don't debate much out of outside of law schools and legal blogs and things, but it does matter because one of the one of the ways that Roe v. Wade was justified was through the substantive due process thing, which is sort of a, a pretty broad, fuzzy way of saying that we have certain rights and it's not clear which ones they are and, you know, they can be applied against the states, and that leaves judges a lot of discretion, as it did in, in, uh, in 1973 when they used this principle to make abortion the law of the land, whereas the principle in a lot of originalists and, and, and right-leaning judges and lawyers depend on is the privileges and immunities idea, which is that the Bill of Rights apply to the states, not just any right that the judge thinks is important. And did she respond incorrectly? I, I, think, I, I think she clarified her position and other people who know her, including, I believe, Justice Clarence Thomas, vouched for her, and she was approved. And that's also, but the problem is this, this is kind of an important debate on how we interpret laws, and when you start throwing around accusations of racism, it, it there's no room left in the conversation for these serious issues, because everyone's just, you know, that's what grabs the headlines, of course. I just feel like, um, it, so it's too much for us at this point to... Like the over, it's overwhelming the amount of allegations of racism that are constantly being thrown around. It's too much for us to go up against. We we end up with this. It's like an um, we're in no man's land where everything's racist, which means therefore nothing is racist, which means people have to bark and scream about it ever louder, and other people within earshot of them have to strain to ignore it, which makes it. You know, worse than it's like the worst climate we've had since we were back in the civil rights kind of, you know, pushing and and trying to figure out what is the right role of black people in society and whites and how should we interact and how should we live together. And that was a really contentious time that I'm sure most Americans are. We're so glad that's behind us. We don't want to go back there. 
Yet here we are where almost anything is racist, even if the person is of color and they're commenting about something that has nothing to do with race. Racism is the primary charge. You're, you know, oh, you're just a racist. It's, it's so prevalent, Kyle, that when liberals attack me for holding right sided views, I usually tweet them back somewhere at some point. I'll say, it sounds like you're a bit of a racist, which they immediately say, I'm, I can't be a racist. I'm not a racist. I'm a Democrat. And I'll say, but I'm black and you're disagreeing with me. And I thought that's the rule that y'all set. And then they, they leave. That's their rule, isn't it? Yeah, that's their rule. But then they leave because they don't want to deal with that. And they certainly don't want me to call them a racist because just the charge itself, it's so loaded and it's so, it's so horrible that most people recoil from it instantly because they're like, well, I'm not a racist, but I can't disprove the negative. So I just have to leave this, this conversation. Right. So then, then, you, then you can't have the conversation anymore. And then the conversation's over, even if it was something that wasn't about racism, it was actually about some other principle that's worth talking about. And then you, you also get this problem is if everything gets called racist, then what, what do you do when something really is racist? Then no one, you know, it's sort of the boy who cried wolf. You know, no one, no one's listening anymore. And, and how do you, how do you, how do you then alert people to something that really is troubling and really should be looked at for those reasons? You know, it's just by using it too much, they, they, they render the whole thing meaningless. Well, so what I'm, what I'm looking for here is, I mean, obviously people can have disagreements on whether or not someone is sufficiently conservative or what have you to be able to do a job. Um, and Naomi Rao, I think there were some concerns with her, weren't there? Or, or was that just kind of little tweets from nowhere? I thought there were some concerns with some of her positions. Uh, well, I think part of the problem is that she had um, not been a judge before, which a lot of appeals court judges aren't. She had worked in the administration in the uh, dealing with regulations and had done a fantastic job there. So I, I think it was more, I mean, maybe, I don't, I don't know what the Senator heard, um, but, you know, maybe he had some concerns, maybe they were justified, but it seems like everybody else um, thinks she's doing a great job and is going to have just, you know, the right principles to uphold, you know, conservative legal rulings. So I guess we'll see. Um, there's no way of knowing, but, um, I, yeah, I think it was it was good of him at least to, to question it. Even if even if we like the president's nominees generally, we shouldn't just ram everybody through without thinking about it. Yeah, well, and because it, I think what's ended up happening in the past, and what I think maybe Josh Hawley and and Mike Lee were concerned with, is that we have had judges before who've seemed pretty conservative on their face. And I shouldn't say conservative; they've seemed as if they respected and believed in the Constitution. And then when they get on the bench, they issue these rulings where you're like, whoa, that's a, that, like, this is not what we put you there for. But by then it's too late. So ne- that during the confirmation process is when you want to ask these questions before you cast your vote, because once they're there, they're there. Yeah, there's no way out. I mean, like you said, we saw that with uh, Justice Stevens and uh, <clears throat> Justice Souter, who were both nominated by Republican presidents and both ended up siding with the, the uh, Democratic nominees on the Supreme Court for decades. So it, it's it's important. I mean, we have to you only get one shot at this. So uh, I'm, I'm glad they took their time, but I'm also glad they approved what, you know, who seems to be a good nominee. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at a um, little, you have a block out here in your piece um, about Bernstein seeing a suspicious pattern simply because Rao is the daughter of Indian Parsi immigrants 
and Lou is the daughter of China or Lou is the daughter of Chinese immigrants. I mean, I I'm I love a fantastic backstory. I think all of that's important in considering, you know, the motivations behind whatever, but just because someone is an immigrant or has an immigrant background, that doesn't mean they're completely immune to hard questions. If we go there, then I mean that's a dangerous precedent to set, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, that that gets into sort of the intersectionality ideas of of the left, where it's it's not important what you believe; it's just you know which cross section of society you come from. And yeah, I, I agree. We should definitely be happy that you know immigrants and the children of immigrants are doing well in America, and are, are you know, I mean that's that's the American dream. But it doesn't. It also shouldn't go the other way and say, yeah, we can't give them. We can't ask hard questions because it might seem improper. Hmm. I think it also, it, I mean, I thought Bernstein's point was sort of hard. That, that pattern didn't really make a pattern to me because there were, there were three other Asian nominees to circuit courts that were enthusiastically received and approved by the Senate with you know, no objections from the Republicans and, and some Democrat votes, too. So it, it, it was just, it was a weird kind of, uh, it was a weird article for him to write. And uh yeah, you point also out, <laughs> it's really interesting, they, they have interesting backgrounds for sure, um, that they were actually, both of them are members of Jewish congregations, even though they're not, uh, you know, what you would con- traditionally sit- consider to be Jewish in their presentation, they're married to Jewish people and they are members of Jewish congregations. So they have really, like, they're, they're the cornucopia that is the American experience is kind of represented in both of these people. I think it actually would be a sign of how qualified they are if they have two. I mean, we're talking about impressive people. Um, Josh Hawley argued the case, the Hobby Lobby case before the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, And and Senator Mike Lee is known for his intellect and his, you know, he's just got a wide ranging knowledge base on on these things. He's such an asset in the Senate. So to have the two of them ask tough questions of these nominees and for them to then go on to be confirmed is not only it's proof of the opposite, isn't it? That, that not only are they these people not racist, but that they put these people through a tough process. You can never go back and say, "Well, the the Republicans just coasted their nominees through and they never asked them anything hard." This gives them more validity, in my mind. It's a great point because yeah, they're both they're both serious senators that were asking these questions. These are not guys who were just looking for a headline or looking, you know, got their eye on the next office. They're not running for president like half the Democratic senators are right now. <laughs> you know, they, they're, they're serious about doing a good job in the Senate, and that's, that's great. They're in, intelligent senators who are asking hard questions, and I think that's the system working as it should. Me too. I, I'm glad that, and, and I don't agree with Bernstein's, um, you know, his his piece that he wrote or his allegation or his charge against them. But I do think that you writing about it and bringing it to the forefront makes for a good conversation for all of us to kind of have and turn over on how we want, we want this tougher process and we want to be certain that the judges that are confirmed are who they say they are on paper and who, especially for those who haven't held a judgeship in the past for them to be able to withstand the onslaught. Cause I, I just don't don't you sometimes wonder what happened to those Supreme Court judges that were confirmed by Republican presidents and had such strong conservative uh, credentials going in and they immediately turned to the left and never looked back. Like it's it's interesting to me that we've never 
found out why. They've never given interviews. They've never told us why they went that way. Yeah, maybe they were always that way, and they just didn't ask the right questions. You know, maybe, maybe I, I mean, part of it was in those days the hearings were a little less uh, contentious than they are today. I mean, part of that was good because they're kind of crazy now sometimes. But yeah, you know, maybe maybe it was just uh, maybe it was there for all to see, and we didn't we didn't see it. So uh, at least we're kind of correcting for that now. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Well, great piece. I will put it up in the comments over at Stacy on the Right on Facebook and YouTube for people to check it out uh, over at thefederalist.com. We love you guys. The work over there is excellent. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. (laughs) Thank you, Stacey. All right. Talk to you again soon. I'm a little tongue-tied. I don't know if it's because I've only had one cup of coffee or what, but... um, So now I want to... I promised you in the first segment that we would hear the audio of Chelsea Clinton saying that she thinks banning abortion is unchristian. And then we got to talking about that guy who is in America but thinks we should all be practicing Islam, and I got off on a tangent. So let's circle back around to that. We have just enough time to listen to that. It's number three. But as a deeply religious person, it's also unchristian. Whenever we yeah. talk about Roe, we're, we're talking, that fight has been happening through the entirety of our lives. Mm-hmm. My mother had that fight. Mother. My grandmother had that. I mean... How does the how can you keep from like the generational exhaustion? When I think about um, all of the statistics that um, are are painful of what women are uh, confronting Zerlina today in our country, and what uh, even more women confronted uh, pre Roe, and how many women died, and how many uh, more women were maimed because of unsafe uh, abortion practices. You know, we just can't go back to right. that. Yeah, um, it's just unchristian, right? <laughs> so, first of all, she says it's been going on her entire lifetime. Her mother and her grandmother were fighting uh, for the right to abortion, and it's just generation generationally exhausting. Well, I'm not generationally exhausted. Are you? I- I'm speaking to the pro-life warriors out there in the listening audience. Are we generationally exhausted? Not even in the least, not in the slightest. We're ready to continue this fight until our dying breath. And that's not some euphemism for violence or anything. I'm just talking about a lifelong struggle against evil that we're engaged in, that we are not tired. We're not tired. We are not tired. So Chelsea and her mother and her grandmother should gird their loins because the battle is on and it is those who are most fervent in their desire to win who will conquer in this and I think it's going to be us pro-life supporting what God's word says when we get back we'll have more for you stay there this is Uncommon Moments here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage As a husband and wife, Lauren and I have always tried to find common interests. Growing up, Lauren was athletic but never followed professional teams. Not only was pro football my job, but I always seemed to be watching sports on TV. Over the years, Lauren has tried to watch with me. Throughout our marriage, I have looked for things I could do that she enjoys as well. That's right. For example, I'd love to read and discuss books, but Tony doesn't. The idea of a book club pains him, but I know that he supports me in the things that I like doing. 
In any marriage, the key is respect and understanding of the other's needs ahead of your own. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Fellow Americans and all of our friends, join me nightly right here on Urban Family Talk, the C.L. Bryant Show, 7 p.m. Central, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. That'll be America, 7 p.m. on Urban Family Talk. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called Tune In. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. Securing America. In the midst of a heated debate on immigration, lawmakers are grappling with fixing what they call America's broken immigration system. Legislators like Florida Representative Blaise Ngolia are hoping to take the lead on Trump's agenda. Republican state leaders are seeking to prohibit sanctuary policies, forcing towns to cooperate with immigration and customs enforcement. These um, sanctuary city policies um, start off with somebody who is arrested for breaking Florida law, and then they find out if they're here um, illegally. There's no racial profiling going on. University of Miami politics professor Michael Touchton says the bill has also raised concerns over giving Washington too much say on Florida decision making. This set of bills reverses some of these traditional principles. In Miami, Alina Shirazi, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Newsom is one of the three people that I consider directly related to, to my son's death. He was the mayor of San Francisco when my son was killed. And it was his policy a year before that if you're in the country illegally, you can drive in San Francisco without a license. And the guy who killed my son was caught prior to... Um, um, to that and they were, they just dropped the charges let him go he continued to drive till he killed my son so so Newsom um, he's ignoring his own state and worrying about everything else he's look he's he's posturing for a run for presidency and he's you know not that he's, he's not gonna run right now but um, if Trump wins another term um, he'll be running in uh, 2024 and that's that's what he's doing right now and I think it was 2013 um, I contact when he was lieutenant governor I sent him a pretty long letter. I contacted his chief of staff, who promised that he would read it, and you know, and he had nothing else to do other than to promote his book. No, um, and it's not just Newsom. No Democrats, and I was a lifelong Democrat. No Democrats will ever respond to any victims. Um, and look, you know what? If he's hears this, he knows where he can find me, uh, aviac.us, or he can contact you guys. Um, I'll fly to Sa Sacramento in a second to sit and talk to him and try to let him understand what California's policies are doing to California. And uh, let's make no mistake about it. This father 
has lost his son and his son's never coming back. The ultimate form of family separation. You were listening to uh, his son was killed in in uh, California. His name's Dan Rosenberg, and he was on Fox and Friends talking about this. And I just want to point out that he said he was a Democrat. Um, and then this happened and he saw how he was just completely ignored and mistreated by people in his own party. His son was killed and he couldn't even get a response back from Gavin Newsom, who at the time or the governor at the time, Gavin Newsom, back when his son was killed, Gavin Newsom was the lieutenant governor. So this man is just a, you know, Dan Rosenberg's a victim and he's a family member of a victim. And Gavin Newsom is he this man holds him directly responsible because it was Gavin Newsom, along with others who were elected at the time, who decided that sanctuary city status was appropriate. And so the guy who killed his son, he'd been arrested before for drunk driving and released. Had they simply had they simply cooperated with the uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the guy would have been deported and he couldn't have killed Mr. Rosenberg's son. So this is important. And it keeps happening. That's that's the thing that I hate. It's one thing when it happens and you find you're like, oh, you know, this happened. It's another thing when it just keeps on happening and you're just like, oh, my goodness. Why doesn't someone do something about this? Why not? Well, because Gavin Newsom's down in South America right now, palling around with folks who send people here illegally. They don't send us their best people. Yeah, I said it. Now what? All right, let's go to the phones. We have Jake in Arkansas. Thanks, Jake, for calling the show. Yeah, hello. How are you doing, Stacy? Good. How are you? Uh, somebody, I'm fine. Somebody need to wake me up. I don't understand how somebody illegal can come in our country and protest against our laws, against our rules, and what we believe in. I don't understand how can they come over here and do this, and the Democrats think it's okay. Well, I, I thought to myself the same thing you thought, but I spent some time reading some articles. This was a, like a week ago, um, or it might have been longer than that. Anyway, I was reading some articles, Jake, about this. Uh, it, it's, so it's the president or prime minister of Hungary, and he was talking about, there's a little bit of audio of him talking about it, but then he was, there's actually like an article where he's talking about how they allowed people to come into Hungary from, you know, Islamic countries. And they were migrants and they needed somewhere to stay. And they brought them in. They put them in, you know, kind of like public assistance type situations, housing, gave them, um, you know, food and clothing and started trying to help them assimilate. And he said the first thing that would happen is they'd get there and they would be upset because their church is all over Hungary. And on Sunday, sometimes they ring church bells. Or people would be going to church, or you could hear outside the church, you could hear people singing. And they would say, these churches, all these these crosses and these churches are offending us. And so his countrymen were like, oh, well, then take them down, take, you know, cover up the crosses. Like, don't, we don't want to offend our, our new people. And he said that was a mistake. After a few years of doing that, the people who were complaining about the crosses on churches and the sound of church bells began to complain when people weren't practicing Islam. So what, you, what you're asking, Jake, is a fantastic question. We should not go down that road. We see it happening over there, and we need to stop it from happening here by saying, I'm sorry, what'd you say? You don't like church. Also, oh, do, you don't. I'm, I thought I heard you say you didn't like being here. 
because we can help you with that. Your citizenship is revocable. Do you have somewhere else you'd like to be? Like the place you came from? We can send you back to that hot, unair-conditioned, unpaved place. We can get you there in 12 hours. You know, we got planes smoking out of America every hour of every day. Let's see how, how quickly we can get you. And how many of these people with you are your relatives? Because it, it's not good enough to just send you. These bad ideas you have have to have infested others. Let's all of y'all who have these same ideas, raise your hand if you think Christians shouldn't be allowed to be wherever they are. Get your hands up and also grab your suitcases. Let's go. That's the attitude we should have. Until we have an attitude like that, we're going to continue to have these maniacs trying to run us down and do things to us. For, I mean, how basic do you have to be mentally to see other people not practicing Islam and get mad about it and stay mad for two years? Like, and obviously he's not working, right? Like, just think about, y'all just sit here with me for a second. Just think about how hard you work. Just think about sometimes how you get home and you've worked so hard, you can't even think. <laughs> Have you ever worked that hard? I remember being on active duty and they put us on shifts. We were doing an exercise. So we had to pretend that we were going in and out of a war zone. So we had to carry our mobility bags on our backs everywhere we went. And we had to work 12-hour shifts. And we had to do our, um, our combat specialty. So I wasn't in an office. I was working my combat specialty and I would go there and I'd have to go through the whole process of decontamination to go get into the area, screening everything. And then in order to leave, it took another 45 minutes to leave after my 12 hour shift. I would leave and I'd have to decontaminate to get out of there and ride a bus, even though I had a car, ride a bus back over to the dorm where I lived on base. This is on Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. And I remember sitting there one time just after I got through the decontamination process and a few people were joking on the bus, and I thought to myself, Lord have mercy. I wish I had their, their energy. They're, they're joking around. Now, remember, this is I'm, I'm in my early 20s. I have a lot of energy. I am physically fit, and I just worked a 12-hour shift. And I was so tired, I couldn't think straight. I just got off the bus and walked over to my dorm. I skipped the chow hall. I ate some granola bars I had stored in my room and got in the bed. And I slept for like 11 hours and got up and thinking I'd missed my, the start to the next shift, but I hadn't. I went down the chow hall and ate after I got dressed and got my mo bag and got on the bus and rode back over for the next 12-hour shift. You know, we, we know this because we're hard workers. You can work so hard that your eyeballs feel tired, that you're just exhausted, that you just know you've earned every bit of what you've got. And I know a lot of us Americans have worked that hard. And we and I'm not saying we're perfect people or we've never sinned or we, you know, we don't put our pants legs on with one leg at a time. That, I, that is not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is when you have a job and you have responsibilities and the taxpayers aren't giving you your food and your clothing and your housing and everything else you've got, you don't have time to be worried about who that person over there is, what, what kind of religion they're practicing. You don't have time to worry about whether or not they're the same faith as you because you're too busy trying to get your life done. And by the time you get done with everything you have to do, you haven't had two seconds to sit down and think about somebody else not practicing Christianity. I mean, that's just not even the way our religion works, is it? Christianity is about us as disciples of Jesus Christ, discipling others into the faith. No unwilling dragging or anything like that. You can't even be a Christian unwillingly. If you are unwilling, you are not a Christian. It's just so not our thing. So the, the, the thing is, if, if we're going to have this conversation, 
you know, we have to kind of talk about this. It gets uncomfortable for some folks, but I'm, I'm here for it. Um, some things are incompatible with the Western civilizational model. Some things are incompatible with liberty and freedom. You know, I don't like the fact that we have a, a growing movement of people who claim to be atheists or agnostics in this country, but that doesn't mean they should be run down with box trucks or killed. It means we as Christians have to do a better job of presenting that salt and that light and that sweet fragrance of the Holy Spirit to these people so that they will know that there's a better way. At no point are we wanting to decapitate them or force them into submission so they can be Christians. But people who do believe that way about their religion, their way of thinking kind of doesn't work. And by kind of, I mean, it absolutely does not work with Western civilization. And so you go back, you got to kind of go back, you go back a little bit and you kind of start back at, at square one. Why do so many people who practice Islam want to immigrate into Christian countries? Why don't Syrians who have been displaced by civil war immigrate into Saudi Arabia or Qatar or Kuwait or Jordan or Iran or Iraq? Why don't they go to one of those other countries that practices the same religion that they practice? And I know, see, I've, I've read lots of books about Islam and I've listened to some pretty fantastic lecturers um, talk about it. And so I know that not all Islam is the same, like there's Sunni and there's, there's these different kinds of practitioners of, of Islam. I, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be easier for you to uh, assimilate with someone who's at least practicing something that sounds similar to what you're practicing than to come over to America and start running people down with trucks because nobody here that you can find wants to submit? <laughs> I mean, it's just so, so basic. So that is, that is my question for every single person who comes here to America. And, and I know the answer. You want to come to America because it rocks. Because there's, like I said, there's a, all this indoor plumbing, paved roads, freedom, jobs, you know, television, internet, all this air conditioning. I mean, it just, just don't get much better than that, as, as people down from where my family is from would say. It just don't get much better than that. So what you going to do? You're going to want to come over here. But when you get here, be glad you're here. Be grateful that we let you in here and stop thinking you can make somebody else do something because that's why we still have all these, you know, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, all that, because we believe that we've welcomed you in. That's all we really have to do for you. We don't then have to adopt your religion and, and start wrapping our heads in, in uh, you know, towels and, and treating women like property just because you're here. You go back to where you came from and practice that there. And if you want to practice it here, you have the right to do that, but you don't have the right to make other people do it. And, and that is just something that needs to be drummed into people when they're over there in the refugee camps and they're making their way through the two-year process and everybody's complaining about how long it takes, it should take a little bit longer because at least half of that two-year process should be making sure that the people who are coming through are willing to admit that when they get here, if their wife wants to take that muumuu off and that headscarf and let her hair fly free and you can't handle that, then maybe the wife should get to come and you stay back over there in wherever you came from and let just let the women and the girls come on in and they can let their hair fly free and be Americans and get educations and live their lives. And if you're not willing to let them do that, then you're not, you're not ready yet. You're like a cake that you pull out of the oven too soon. And 
the cake is still jiggly. You can't put, you can't stand a, um, a toothpick up in it. You got to put that cake back in and let it bake some more. That's what you got to do. All right, let's go to the phones. <laughs> Ernest in Michigan. Hey, Ernest, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, thank you, Stacey. I love that comment you just made about the cake. I'll try to make this quick. Yeah, uh, that, that radical side of Islam who, who wants to be hit Christians who want to convert. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of what the Bible says. You know, we're headed for this one world war and the beast and all that. And that will have a lot to do with it in the end times with this uh, religious leader trying to promote all religions. I also want to comment on something that you said earlier and yesterday. You know, I'm thinking of the scripture in Second Peter where the writer states, God is not willing that any should perish, mm-hmm. but that all should come to repentance. And so, you know, you got you got you got this lifestyle of homosexuality and lesbianism and, and transgender and everybody thinks that they can do their own thing. We were bought with a price, and that price mm-hmm. was the precious blood of the Lamb. We belong to him. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about if we would judge ourselves, that's the less more that God would have to judge us. I was talking to a young man today at work, and he was saying, I'm 21, I can't wait till I start drinking. That opened up the conversation you to have with him. And I was like, man, you know what? You know, if you would learn discipline at a young age, you can avoid a lifetime of heartache. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just, I just want to commend you again for your boldness, and I always pray that God will protect you and your family. But keep on being the bold soldier that you are, for Christ's sake, because we're in a war. And yea, that all that shall live godly shall suffer persecution, some more than others. But when you become a Christian, you better understand that you signed up for mental, verbal, and physical persecution, if necessary. God bless. Thank you, Ernest. If you're still uh, in the call queue, stick around. Right now, if you're leaving us, God bless you. We are so glad that you made your home at American Family Radio. And we encourage you to go to onenewsnow.com and check out the content there. If you're sticking around, you have more Stacey on the right after the break. Have a fantastic evening.